doctrine. We're going to talk this morning about saving faith. Uh, this is in connection really with the last two messages uh, we dealt with Bible doctrine. We dealt with a couple messages ago regarding the new birth. And then the last message was dealing with repentance. And this message is going to be focused on the aspect of faith. Acts chapter, uh, I said Acts chapter 20, didn't I? Acts, Acts chapter 20, and we want to read verses 17 through 21. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. This is uh, the Apostle Paul. And when he had come to, to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me uh, by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. That is a message that Paul took, that he served with, that he brought in humility, and how he helped others was a message of repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. We want to focus on the aspect of of saving faith this morning. Let's pray. Father, I ask for your help this morning again as we seek your throne. And Father, I pray that you would just quiet our hearts this morning as we come into this portion of the services that we would sit at your feet and listen to your word. Father, I pray that you would help me this morning that, Lord, I would be removed from the message and that there would be nothing about me and my mannerisms or manner of speech that would distract, Lord, from uh, the message. I pray, Father, that you would help us to bear out what you have given us to share with your people today. And, I, Lord, I pray that you would help those this morning that are still without that saving faith. Father, I pray that you would draw them unto yourself and reveal Christ unto them, that they today would have their faith and trust in him and him alone. And Lord, I pray that for those that are already your people this morning, that through this teaching, that they, their, their faith that they already have would be strengthened in you. And that they also would rejoice with great thanksgiving, understanding and realizing that, Lord, it is you that they need to give thanks even for the faith that they have. Father, we thank you that you've drawn us to yourself, that you've enabled us, Lord, to have our faith rest in your Son. For we know without you we cannot do that. Father, help us now to focus our attentions upon your holy word. Help us to grow in the faith. And we pray in Jesus' name. And amen. All right, we've been talking about uh, the new birth in the, in the last couple lessons and how that it is through the new birth that we have produced within us repentance and faith. We talked last time about genuine repentance, and uh, we need to understand that genuine repentance will always be accompanied by genuine faith. Repentance reveals the reality of faith that is present. In other words, one of the ways that we can see that we have saving faith, genuine faith, is the evidence of repentance in our life. 
Any who have come to faith in Christ will show a life of repentance, a constant turning from the world and sin unto Christ, and a trust in Christ. Now, when you speak of faith and repentance in the Word of God, they listen, they are so closely connected uh, that in preaching one or the other, we are actually many times proclaiming the same, proclaiming them both at the same time. But listen, there is no call to repentance and salvation that does not also require faith in salvation. There's no call to faith that does not require repentance. They, they go together, say, which one comes first? Listen, they are together in salvation. And this is why that sometimes, sometimes only one of them are expressed in regards to the preaching and proclamation of salvation in the Scriptures. Sometimes, and we know it well, sometimes the Scriptures just talk about believing, right? Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's other times where believing isn't mentioned and we have repentance. Uh, good examples are that in Acts 3.19, Peter preached, Repent and be converted. In Acts 17.30, it says the Lord commands all men everywhere to repent. They go hand in hand. You cannot have one without the other. And yet for many years, and I, I would dare say from the beginning of the, the time of the New Testament times, there's, there's sometimes been a distortion of that. Sometimes there's been a distortion in the fact that we say, well, salvation only involves believing. Salvation involves repentance too. If there's no repentance, there's no believing. Repentance is the sign of faith. You cannot have one without the other. Oftentimes when we hear a salvational message, there's very little emphasized on regards to repentance, of a turning from sin, of being sorrowful for sin, as we talked about in our last message. Repentance and faith go hand in hand in regards to the new birth. When a new birth has taken place, it doesn't produce just faith. It doesn't produce just repentance. It re produces repentance and faith. They are the evidence, the first evidences of the new birth. They are the first fruits of the work of the Holy Spirit within us. Genuine faith is seen by the evidence of genuine repentance. I like his quote uh, by Al Martin. Uh, he said this, We must repent and we must believe. Although it is necessary to discuss these as separate concepts, we must not think that repentance is ever divorced from faith or that faith is ever divorced from repentance. True faith is permeated with repentance and true repentance is permeated with faith. They interpenetrate one another in such a way that whenever there's a true appropriation of the divine provision, you will find a believing penitent and a penitent uh, believer. And I believe that is true. Listen, saving faith is trust and reliance on the Lord Jesus Christ as one's personal Savior and sin bearer. And in that, there will always be a repentance from self and sin unto faith in Christ. Paul came testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God. And we mentioned this in our closing message last week. Repentance is not just turning from sin. It's a turning toward the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance toward God and faith toward our personal Lord Jesus Christ, toward the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's talk for a minute here regarding distinguishing saving faith. 
distinguishing saving faith. Now, there is a historical belief that we can have that is not a saving faith. A historical belief that is not a saving faith. Listen, bringing someone to salvation, we, we don't do that. We, we teach the Word of God. We should expound the Word of God in, in all of its aspects, but we don't instill saving faith in someone when we finally teach them enough history lessons, if you would, about the Bible, and they believe those history lessons. Saving faith is distinguished from historical belief. I have seen people who were raised in church their whole life, and they would agree that this is even the Word of God, and they would say, well, I believe this is God's Word. And they can quote much of the Bible. And they have yet to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And there's been people who have not been raised in church. They enter the doors of church one time, or they, somebody talks to them and gives them the gospel one or two times, and they come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And they do not have all of the historical background of the knowledge of the Word of God. There's a difference between historical belief and saving faith. Many believe much of what the Bible has to say in regard to history. Yet at the same time, they may deny who Jesus is or their need to trust Him and to turn from their sin. Our children learn the accounts in the Bible and we need to teach them those accounts in the Bible. And, and, and they may grow up not doubting the authenticity of the Word of God and believe that the Bible is from God. And yet they've not come to faith in Christ as their Redeemer. We need to understand this because too many times what happens in our churches is that, is that we equate a certain amount of historical belief or intellectual assent that we may see in our children, well, they must be saved. Listen, they need to, to put their faith and trust in Christ as, as a result of the new birth. They must be born again. They must be born again, as Jesus said to Nicodemus, who knew the Scriptures very well. Nicodemus, you and everyone else, you must be born again. You may believe that Israel is God's chosen nation upon earth. You may believe that God created man from the dust of the earth. And I've said this many times, but I believe those things, taught those things, and I believe them. I don't ever remember doubting that God was creator. Now, creation is important even in proclaiming the gospel, but believing in creation does not mean that you have trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Creation was well accepted for, for, for many, many years. But it didn't mean that everybody believed in creation were believers upon Christ as Lord. You may believe that God parted the Red Sea and Israel walked across on dry ground. You may believe that David and Solomon were real kings, that they actually, resist, that they actually existed as the Scriptures teach, and believe those accounts, but not have saving faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Now you may take that even farther in regards to an intellectual ascent that that may go a little further than just a historical belief. You, you, you may agree that God is real. You may agree that this is the Word of God and live in total rebellion against it. You, you, you may have an intellectual assent about the person of Christ that, and, and the things about Jesus. You may believe that He was born, that He died. As you may even believe that He rose again. And we need to understand the difference between believing this and assenting to this and having saving faith in the person of Jesus Christ. 
I don't ever remember doubting, even as a young boy, that if you would have asked me if I believe that Jesus died, buried, and rose again, that I would have said, no, I don't believe that. Now, those of what we might label as of the Arminian persuasion would call this saving faith. In other words, somebody just gives assent to that. Yeah, I believe Jesus died, buried, and rose again. Well, they say, well, you are saved. If you believe Jesus died, buried, and rose again, well, well you're saved. Saving faith, they would believe that to be just simply as an assent to that. Listen, I, I can be drowning. I can be drowning and believe and believe that someone has thrown a life vest or a life jacket out to me. I can see them do that in a sense. Yeah, they did that. They did that. But it doesn't do me any good if my faith and trust is not in that. Trust and faith takes it, uh, uh, God at His word, and understands that Christ not only did it, but He did it for me. The gospel is not just that Jesus died, buried, and rose again. We're cutting it short. Paul said the gospel is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believes. Romans 1:16. 1 Corinthians 15, he tells us how the, the gospel is what? It is how that Christ died, was buried, and rose again according to the scriptures. But then he says he did it for our sins. The gospel message is the message of substitution. It's not just believing that Jesus did it, but it's believing that Jesus bore your judgment, took your place on the cross of Calvary. And that is different. It's putting your trust in that work of Christ for you. Saving faith does not just believe that Jesus did those things, but He did them on your behalf. Faith in the gospel message is a faith in the work of Christ on behalf of your sin, your judgment, that He died for your sins, took your place. He was your substitute. He was your sheep that took your place, the sins that you deserved, bore your sins in His body. That when you look at the horrible death of Christ, you believe that He went through that for you. That His hands and feet were pierced for your sins. That the stripes laid on His back was because you had turned your back upon God. That's saving faith. Believe He did it for you. Do you believe that Jesus Christ did that for you? For your judgment. That's saving faith. Now, if we have that saving faith, then we do not boast in ourselves because faith is a gift of God. Faith is a gift of God. I have found that those who believe in an intellectual assent, in other words, you just give assent to the gospel, of, 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 like the facts of it, that Christ did those things, that sometimes those are of that persuasion, sometimes they have an arrogance about them because they have come to believe that message if they would or they have come to agree to that message we have nothing to boast of if we have come to faith in jesus christ the faith we have in christ that faith itself is a gift of god in ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 and 9 you probably know it well at least you should know it well for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, meaning that faith is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. 
not of works, lest any man should boast. So I put you at the mercy of the Lord this morning. Say, Lord, I, I need you to help me to believe, to believe in the gospel. You know, when this is properly understood, that faith is a gift from God, then you realize several things. One, you realize that you cannot explain faith in such a way that, that and articulate it in such a way that people will finally get it. Now, the gospel message is a simple message, and we must keep it simple and not muddy the waters. But listen, you can explain it as simple as possible, but that doesn't, in your explanation, your power, your ability, is not what enables people to finally believe it. I believe in a lot of things that I do not understand. And you can try to explain them to me. I may not understand them, but I still believe it. There's a lot of things about the gospel I still don't understand. There's a lot of things that we can apply that in a practical application. If you don't know anything about electricity, can you explain electricity to me? Now, some of you could. Most of you couldn't. I still can't. But do you have faith to believe that if you flip that switch on, that something's going to happen, lights are going to come on? Yes. There's a lot of things you don't understand or know about it, but there, there's a faith element in there. There's a believing element in there, and you don't have a, a clear understanding of how it all works. You don't have to have a clear understanding of how a car works in order to get in the car and to go for a spin. You know how the brake works and those kind of things, but you don't have to know the internal elements of it. You don't have to know about all the things about the brakes and how they work. You need to know that they work. <laughs> And there's so much in regards to that, in regards to faith. It's not being able to explain all the details of faith or every aspect of the gospel of Christ in such a way that where people will finally be able to believe it so that they can trust it. I've seen people come to faith in Jesus Christ on some messages like, how did the Lord do that? Sometimes you preach salvational messages and, and think, well, this is finally going to put the nails in the coffin, if you will. It's going to seal the deal. People are going to get it. It's so simple. I've laid it out. I've not used any complicated terms. I'm trusting solely in the Lord. I mean, it's right there in black and white or red and white. Boy, it's just going to be clear and plain and to the point. I mean, boy, surely somebody's going to get this this morning. And maybe they do, maybe they don't. I should preach with simplicity of the Word of God, but it's not in preaching the simplicity of the Gospel that enables men to believe it. When you see that salvational faith is, is really different from historical belief or, or from uh, an intellectual assent, it's more than just having knowledge of the Scriptures. You see that that's not enough. When we see the salvational faith is not just that intellectual sin, then, then you realize that, that just leading someone to acknowledge that the facts of the gospel message itself is not enough. When saving faith is truly seen as a gift and work of God, then that puts not only the hearer, but the, the, the proclaimer that you would at the mercy of God. And pleading to God as we give the gospel with others that He would open their eyes and that He would give them faith. 
It helps you to see that you cannot put confidence in self, your ability, in your ability to be able to, to put your words together the right way. We, this will help us to proclaim the gospel. Because sometimes we don't proclaim the gospel because we think we are not articulated enough. We can't say it well enough like this person or that person or the pastor. I just can't say it as good as he can. Maybe you can't. I can't say it as good as a lot of people. But it's not in how well we say it. That's not somehow going to enable people to have faith. Faith is a gift from God. If you come to faith in Jesus Christ, Praise God for that. Thank the Lord for that. It has been His divine influence. In John chapter 6, John chapter 6, one of the greatest preachers in, our, in the last few hundred years, you know him, know him well, at least not, not personally, uh, but C.H. Spurgeon. C.H. Spurgeon was converted have you ever read his story or not? But if I remember right, my, if, my, if my recollection is correct, he, I think he was on his way to church. And there was a huge storm. And he didn't get to his destination he was going to go to, and so he goes to a different church. And when there's hardly nobody there, uh, the, the one that usually preaches was not there. And if I remember right, it was one of the deacons got up and just read a little bit of Scripture, gave a little bit of explanation. And C.H. Spurgeon's testimony of that was it wasn't all that great, if you would, as one would think, but God used that to convert him. Okay, it's not in us. And in John chapter 6 and verse 35, Jesus says this, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never thirst, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But listen to these words. I, I read this again, I think it was yesterday, and it just hit me in a whole other way. But I said to you that you have seen me. He's talking to people that can look right at him, eye to eye, eyeball to eyeball, face to face, in the very presence of Jesus. Can I describe Jesus any clearer than the very presence of Jesus can describe Jesus? I don't think so. These were people that were face to face with the Son of God. He says, you have seen me and yet do not believe. <laughs> and so get it out of your notion that if I can describe Jesus well enough, if I can define Him well enough, if I define Him accurate enough that somehow as I present Jesus to this person, they will believe. Jesus says, you've seen me. You're looking right at me. Yet you do not believe. When, when I read this, I thought, how many times have I done that? Have I sought to clearly set forth Jesus Christ before people? And think I've done the best I can do. I've set Christ as well as I can. And yet they do not believe. What happened in the days of Jesus? <laughs> Even more so. He says, verse 37, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. 
When faith is truly seen as a gift and it strips us of any pride if we have truly come to Christ and come to faith in Him. We received faith not simply because we, we were raised in church and, and we were raised to believe it. We received faith not simply because, boy, we were just smarter and gave an intellectual assent and seen the probability of the gospel and said, oh, yeah, sure, Jesus did that. We need to understand that faith is a gift. We're to teach the Scriptures for they reveal the faith, the Word of God. It reveals that. But the Spirit of God must reveal Christ unto us. There must be a revealing of Jesus unto our darkened hearts and darkened minds. God must command the light to shine in the darkness. The Pharisees were notorious for knowing much of what the Bible had to say and could quote much of it, but they missed the person of the Bible. They missed Jesus. For years, many of us probably had a lot of knowledge of the Word of God, but we missed Christ and had no faith in Him as Lord and Savior. I like this quote by uh, John MacArthur. He said this, he said, saving faith is not just believing that Jesus lived and died. Faith that saves is the confident, continuous confession of total dependence on and trust in Jesus Christ to meet the requirements on your behalf to give you entrance into God's eternal kingdom. It's the surrender of your life in complete trust to Him to do what you cannot do. Also, we may add that faith has nothing to do with it has nothing to do with historical belief in the sense of, uh, or intellectual assent, but it has nothing to do with feelings either. In other words, you can't look you can't look to see oh I got faith because I believe you know that this is, is true in the Bible that you know creation and those things. The same way you, you can't know you've got faith by because you feel it. Because you feel it. Faith is not feelings either. Listen, sometimes I feel like I got a lot of faith. And I found out at those times I had little faith because I was just really full of pride. <laughs> I don't always feel like I'm trusting in Jesus. And many are waiting for the right feeling so that they can know that they have faith. Jesus says to believe on Him. He does not say to feel after Him that you may believe. It's a simple question. Have you turned unto God from sin? In other words, you are seeking to live for God. I didn't ask you if you were perfect, but there's been a turning, a repenting toward God. And do you believe that Jesus died for you and rose again for you? Do you believe that? Have you repented? Have you turned? I didn't ask you if you were perfect. I didn't ask you if you've completely 100% quit sinning. Has there been a turning from sin and a turning toward God and faith in Jesus Christ? That is salvation. That is it. That is it. You may say yes. Yes. But preacher, I don't feel, crucify your feelings. Listen, they will lie to us time and time again. 
Trust in the crucified Christ for sinners. Believe upon Him. Now, speaking of genuine faith, we must bring in works. <laughs> we must bring in works. We don't look to feelings to give evidence of faith, but listen, works are an evidence of faith. We don't work to get faith, but works are the evidence of faith. Genuine faith is not only accompanied by repentance from sin, but a turning toward the works of God. It not only enables us to turn from evil, but enables us to do good. Ephesians 2, we read it earlier in verse 8 and 9, but we need to read verse 10 as well. 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Then the very next thing he says is what? For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. As we have come to faith in Christ through the gift of God, He has made us after His own image, and He's working towards that more into His image, and He is making us unto good works. He's made us for that purpose. God not only has given us faith, but He's enabled us through His Holy Spirit to do His work. Listen, when there is faith in the gospel, there is also a change of heart. It's the sign of genuine faith. There is a desire for righteousness. There's a desire for the person of Christ. A desire for goodness. Why? Because of the Holy Spirit of God within us. That's the power of the gospel working in us. In 1 Peter 2, 24, it says, Who his own self bear our sins in His own body on the tree that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Turn with, with me, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Listen, when the gospel comes in power and we have trusted the gospel, it changes us. Say, well, preacher, why now are you talking about works and stuff? Salvation's only by faith. Absolutely. Look and live. But the evidence of that genuine faith is there is a change within us. When the gospel comes to you in power, it doesn't leave you as you were. You know, the old song, Just As I Am, is ever so true. We come to Christ just as we are, as sinners. But He doesn't leave us the way we are. He changes us. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3, Paul says, Remembering without your ceasing your what? Your work of faith. Labor of love. Patience of hope in our Lord. Jesus Christ in the sight of, of our God and Father. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. How does he know they're one of the chosen? How does he know this? He says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake, 
and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out. He says, your faith is spoken of. Everybody sees it. Everybody testifies of how the gospel has come in power unto you guys. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. He says, you, your faith is evident. It's seen. It's realized. For they themselves concerning or declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you what? Turned to God. There's the repentance from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Here we see the work of the power of the gospel. Where there is faith in the gospel and the gospel comes in power, it changes us. And we see so many ways in which it changed the people of Thessalonica in such a manner that Paul said, Listen, knowing your election of God is I can see that you've been chosen of God. I can see the gospel has come in power of the Spirit and in much assurance. And he gave this list of different things that he could see, how he could see their faith at work. Faith that does not express itself in works is invalid, and it is not saving faith. James says, even so, faith, if it has not works, is dead, being alone. It's a dead faith and not a living faith in the living Christ. We change without because we've been changed within. That's the evidence of faith. We're told in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all Things become new. And I feel like I've never lost that, right? It seems like every day it's like that's true. Old things are passing away. Everything's becoming new. To know if you have a real faith, you don't look back to, to how you felt 20 years ago or what you were thinking 20 years ago when you made your profession of faith. Do you have a faith in Christ that has changed you and is changing you. A faith that changes who you desire to become. A faith that draws you closer to Christ. A faith that wants you to be like Christ. Do you have a faith that, that gives you a desire to, to do the works of God? To tell other people about Jesus? Listen, salvation does not come through baptism at all. Baptism is a work that we do, that we follow the Lord in after we are saved. But while, while baptism never saves us, baptism is a profession of the faith that we have believed upon Christ. We get baptized not to be saved or to get faith. We do not believe in baptismal regeneration. In other words, some people believe, but boy, once you're baptized, you come up with having faith. But by faith, by faith we obey this first work 
that we're told to do. And that's why many times when the gospel's being preached, you cannot deny it in the New Testament. It is repent and what? And be baptized. Why? Because it's the first work. It's the first evidence of a life that's changed by the power of the gospel. I find this a very powerful verse in Luke 7.30, but the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him, by John. Believers don't reject that. <laughs> it's a work we do when we come to faith in Christ. But it's not a work we do to come to faith in Christ or to make us right with God or to justify us in that sense. Bruce Ware said this, he said, works that are the outflowing of our salvation are never then the root or the basis of our right standing before God, but rather they are the fruit or the demonstration of our true salvation. They testify to the genuineness and reality that we are now His children, that His Spirit lives within, and that the faith that brought us justification continues as a living faith now to bring us on going sanctification i just think that's a wonderful quote now let us emphasize for the last few minutes the ground of faith i remember as, as a boy for a young man thinking well i must be saved because i believed in salvation by faith <laughs> i believed in that i believed that salvation was only by faith I don't ever remember doubting that. And I say that many times, but I just don't. I just don't remember doubting that. I don't ever remember thinking, boy, I, I need to be good enough so that I can go to heaven. In other words, if I just do this and this, I'm going to, be, I'm going to go to heaven. I, I, just, I remember from a young boy thinking salvation has to be by faith. That's what the Bible says, it must be by faith. But I didn't have faith. Christ is the object of our faith. It's not... I don't know how else to say it. It's not faith in faith. It's not faith in the doctrine of faith. It's faith in the person of Christ. And there is a difference in that. It's not faith in our doctrinal integrity. It's faith in the person of Christ. Christ is the object of our faith. He that believes on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. We don't trust in our knowledge of the Bible and assume that because we know a lot about the Bible that we must be saved. We don't trust in our reverence for the Bible or church. We trust in the person of Jesus Christ Himself and His work of redemption, His work on the cross, His death, His burial, His resurrection for our sins. It's reliance on Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And yes, that manifests itself by good works, but our faith is in Christ alone and not in our works. Salvation is not of works, lest any should boast. And it is not by works of righteousness which we have done. We must not, we must dare not lay hold of someone else or something else. It must be Jesus Christ alone and His finished work on the cross and His power over death, hell, and the grave for our sins. You cannot lay hold of anything else. 
He alone and He all alone, Christ alone, is the only way to be saved from your sins. Look and live. Behold the Lamb of God which takes away your sin. He is the only way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by Him. He that believeth on Me, Jesus says, has everlasting life. Repentance and good works are just the evidence of that life. But they do not procure it. They do not get it for us. Christ is the ground of our faith. Christ is the object of our faith. I'll close this one last quote by Randy Smith. He said this, We are not saved by our faith, but through our faith. Faith is only as valid as the object in which I choose to invest it. I can have great faith in the stars or, or a powerful man or in my personal beliefs, but if the given object is unable to achieve my salvation, the faith is useless. Faith is the connecting chain, the human response that links me to the saving work of Christ. Listen, a lot of people, they have faith. A lot of people have faith, but they have it in the wrong thing or the wrong person. They might have it in Muhammad. They might have it in Buddha. They may have it in themselves. They might have it in their parents. They might have it in the pastor. They may have it in the church. Your faith must be in Christ because He alone, He alone must be the object of our faith. Father, I pray that You would use this message, Lord, to, by the power of Your Holy Spirit, to show someone today that Christ is the only way. Help them not to trust in their feelings. Help them not to trust in their knowledge of the Bible. Help them, Lord, to trust in Jesus Christ, the Son of God alone, for their salvation and redemption. May they come to faith in Christ today and begin to follow you and follow you in baptism, become a part of the assembly here and serve you in this place. And Father, I pray for your people here today, Lord, that we would be reminded today that the gospel is what people need to hear. And it's not in our power that enables them to spiritually hear it, but it's in the power of your Spirit. We must proclaim it as the people of Thessalonica did, but Lord, we pray that it would go in the power and much assurance of the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray for all of our young people here at New Testament Baptist Church. Father, so many of them are being raised in, in good homes with good parents who maybe are trusting Jesus, who are teaching them the truth, bringing them to church as much as they can. But Father, they still need Jesus. They still need the new birth. And I pray that you would save our children. Help us not to assume that everything's okay because they're pretty good kids. Lord, help us to faithfully proclaim Christ to them, that they need to put their faith and trust in Him. Lord, may You do this work of grace in their hearts. We pray it in the name of Jesus and Jesus alone. And amen. Okay, Paul.